Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm the older brother, and I am a writer and the host. And with me is Matt, who is the YouTuber and the expert. <laughs> I, I don't know about the second part of that, but hi. <laughs> You're the expert at being Matt Farrell. That, that is very true. Today we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode after a unexpected break the previous week because of, I guess you could say because of what was going into making this episode. It was the one after this that was actually causing problems. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. The most recent episode was Tesla Model 3 after two years review and a giveaway. That's right. This episode dropped on November 10th. I'm curious, what was your experience with making this episode? I know that you've talked, we talked last week about how you kind of surprised yourself with you purchased a Model 3 right around the same time that you started working from home and your expectation of, well, this will be my commuting car turned into, uh, this is my garage car. Yeah. And exactly. so what was your experience in coming back to the car and saying, okay, I'm taking, I'm trying to take a fresh look at this after two years? Well, for the first thing was, it was pretty funny because it's like, I, <laughs> I'm living the life of a shut in right now. <laughs> it's like, well, we all are, but you know, I'm lucky if I go out like driving in my car once a week. So I went to my car and I sat down and I turned it on to see what the actual mileage was and to, to refresh, you know, dig into some of the things I was thinking about talking about. And when I saw the mileage, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> how, how do I frame this when I've only got like the, you know, the 7,000 miles or so on it. It was interesting. And it, all, the other interesting side of it was when I was filming some of the B-roll sequences, because I needed shots of some of the screen for showing how the full self-driving automation stuff has changed. <laughs> I was driving the car more. <laughs> to film this episode that I had probably driven it in the previous month. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I was driving down the pike. I was driving down route nine. It's like I had, I had been like driving all over the place. I put like 40 miles on the car, just driving around, getting some footage. And I, I've probably put on 10 miles in this car in a month. And I just drove it like 30 or 40 miles just to film this. That's kind of sad. Now at the so, number, yeah. at the number of miles you're putting on it per month, do you expect mm -hmm. the car to last to the year 2048? It most likely will outlive me. Right. <laughs> yes. You will be. <laughs> this will I be going pass. on to your heirs. This yeah, exactly. I can pass this on. I, we joke about that, but at the same time, that was an interesting challenge because it was like, well, what can I share about this? Right. Like, what is it about the car that is resonating with me that I would want to talk about? And that what came up, hopefully it was clear in the video, was it's not the same car that I bought. It's continued to evolve, change, get better. That's one of the strangest aspects of it. I know. <laughs> We're accustomed to a car being like a television set. Yep. You know, it's a fairly big purchase and you're going to get what you get when you get it. And then you'll use it until it no longer meets your needs or it breaks. Yep. Yep. And the idea that this is more akin to your cell phone where yep. there's system updates and in some case system failures. Yeah as your recent black screen experience went. Do you want to talk a little bit about the rectification of the black screen incident? You had to take it in. Yeah, I took, I took it in and when I was standing there dropping it off and they were asking me exactly what happened, 
They were like, what did you I, do? I, well, I, I described <laughs> what happened and the guy just looked at me and went, that may be the, it sounds like the computer may have just gone bad. And right. so he said, we're going to have to diagnose it. So he said, you're not going to be able to wait because we'll need more time with it. And it was, they had the car for maybe two days, which is longer than I would have expected, but they said they were busy and they're probably, you know, don't have a lot of staff working right now. Mm -hmm. So I was totally patient. They gave me a Tesla Model S loaner um, that was one hell of a beater of a car they gave me, but uh, <laughs> it, had lived, it had lived a very hard life, uh, but it was fine. I didn't care. Uh, but when they texted me and then I actually talked to them and I asked them for more details, his description was literally just like, um, it wasn't a software bug that caused this to happen. It was the software initiated something that there was a hardware failure in the computer. Something was wrong in the computer and he, he couldn't elaborate, but it may have been like faulty memory or something mm. in there was off. And then when the install happened, it triggered a situation where the, it couldn't reboot and finish the process. Mm. So it was a hardware failure triggered by the software. And so he said they just swapped it out. So they basically just changed out my full self-driving computer, which I lost all my settings in my car. I had to reset up the car like it was brand new again. But it's been working great. And I realized after the fact, I didn't really bring this up in the video, but my car had been having symptoms for months. And I didn't realize it. Um, I would go up to my car to go in and get in the car and it would not wake up right away. I'd push mm. the door handle and it wouldn't open and unlock. And then I would have to wait a second and do it again. And then the car would wake up and let me in. That was unusual. It didn't used to do that when it was brand new, but it never, it was so subtle right. how it kind of started to show. And like there were times where I get in the car and I would go to go into reverse and the screen would still be black for a half a second. And then it would spring to life. Hmm. It was like, it was clearly having trouble to waking up and having trouble initiating. There was something off. So right. his description of it was a hardware failure made a lot of sense to me. Like the more I thought about the symptoms over the past few months. That sounds very much like my experience with my previous cell phone, it started getting buggy so subtly yeah. that by the time I realized there was a problem and I went into like, oh, I have to look into this deeper. And it was then that I discovered that the battery was fried and it was, the phone was basically on its last legs. And that's the other thing is like, I hope people took it away from the video. I, I've gotten comments in the video from some people saying, and this is why I'll never buy, you know, a Tesla. It's like, I hope you don't take that away from this video because it's like every car I've ever had has had problems. Like, you know, yeah. I had my Nissan Altima had a defect in the windshield glass. Right. So it's like, this is not a Tesla problem with that defect in the windshield. It's yeah. it happened in my Nissan. I had a, I had a VW Jetta for a few years and before my Tesla, if I was going to say what was the my favorite car to just drive, it would be the VW Jetta. I had so much fun driving that car. It was a 1.8 turbo. It was so such a blast to drive that car. I remember and hearing it, you drive by and you just were screaming, "Wee!" Yeah! out the window. Yeah, I, you really you looked you looked so happy. Yeah, and the 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 internal like the insides was like immaculate and so well, you know, German engineering kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same Full time, Nugan, I understand. Yeah. I ditched that car after having it for less than two years because the car had the wiring in the car, whatever VW did, all of the wiring in the car started to crack. 
And because it was cracking, water could get in and it would mm. short out. And my left tail light would go out. I'd change the bulb and the right one would go out. I'd change the right one and then the left one would go out. It was like I could only have one tail light. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept extra tail lights in my glove box. So oh, I got pulled awful. over a couple of times by cops saying, do you know I have a tail light out? And I was like, I know I have bad electrics. I said, I can actually fix that as soon as I get to the parking lot. And I would show them my light bulbs. I can do this. And they'd be like, right. okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's like, right. I, And I took it in at one point because it was having trouble starting. I took it into a, a mechanic and he looked at it and said, the only way for you to f- solve this problem would be to strip all the wiring out and change it. And I was wow. like, well, how much would that cost? He goes, more than the car's worth. Right. I was like, okay. I'm selling the car. <laughs> yeah. You're selling so it's it for like, parts at that point. Yeah. It's like, I traded it in. It was like, it, it, there's every car manufacturer has problems like this. There's like, they make bad calls with whatever wiring coating that they had. Insulation they use was bad. Yeah. You, AMC made bad call with the engine blocks. It's like manufacturing defects happen. It's like, you got to cut companies some slack. And in the case of my Tesla, it's, all under warranty. It cost me nothing. It just took a couple days away from my car for it to get fixed. And it's like, and I had a loaner the entire time. So it's like, it didn't really disrupt my life at all. It was just kind of an annoyance. Mm-hmm. And the car still functioned where I was able to drive it to the to the Tesla service center to get it fixed. So mm-hmm. I just hope people don't look at this and say, you know, this is why you don't buy a Tesla. It's like, well, then right. don't buy a car because <laughs> cars, cars break, <laughs> cars have issues. They need to be fixed. So what surprised you the most about revisiting the car? What surprised me the most was how much I still love it. It's like I've had honeymoon periods with every car I've ever had where it's like for a few months, you're like, this is awesome. I love this new car. And then after a while, it just becomes a car. Right. This has never just become a car to me. And I've had it now for two years. And that's been the thing that's actually surprised me the most. Do you think part of that is that you have not driven it as much as you did other cars. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it, I think it's because of the software updates. Honestly, it's like, like you get a new, new iOS 14 just came out. It's like, Ooh, what new features does it have? Oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is making my life a little bit better. And this, you know, s- solves this problem I had before. It's like, it kind of like, it's always re-engaging you mm. in the experience of using it and owning it where an, a normal car doesn't do that. <laughs> it's just at certain points, like, okay, this is just the car. Where the Tesla, it's like, I can, I can put a, I can keep a controller in my car. So if I was on a trip to go visit like mom and dad in upstate New York, I could play little video games. <laughs> right. I could play, I could play some Cuphead while I'm waiting at the charger. Right. So it's like, it's that kind of stuff that just gets me re-engaged with the car. It's pretty cool. And was there a well duh moment? I guess what I'm saying is, is there something that's so obvious about the car that it kind of took you by surprise that you didn't address it or that you needed to address it? Well, I didn't address things like the driving experience of the car. Right. I'm really saying just, just now I didn't actually talk about like the torque and the fast acceleration and like Mm -hmm. just the sportiness of driving it. I didn't bring that up in the video and I just realized I didn't really talk about that. That's kind of surprising to me, but that's, that's always the thing that people is show off about EVs like Tesla's is like getting people in the car, jamming on the pedal the first time they get in it. Right. It's right. like the, oh rocket, the rocket the acceleration. Rocket. Yeah. Right. That actually is a, I would say honeymoon period. You do that a few times. You're like, okay, <laughs> right. Like, that's fine. Was any part of your, 
approach to this looking at a what would the value of this specific car, not your car specifically, but this model of car be to a new consumer of this car today versus somebody coming to the most recent Tesla releases? You mean like if I was going to sell this is now, yeah, this is now a used car. It's an older car. What's your (laughs) approach as far as if you were going into the EV car market, but you were looking at used vehicles as opposed to brand new vehicles, your car Mm -hmm. in particular would be seen as being valuable because you haven't put a lot of miles on it. But yep. Avoiding that detail about your specific car. Is there something about this model that would still be attractive Oh yeah, or should still be attractive to somebody entering the EV market. You, when you come into a car market, you're always in that battle of: Do I spend the money on a brand new thing, or is this going to meet my needs and still be a valuable see, addition? Yeah. yeah, I see what you're talking about. I would say that's the thing I find fascinating about Tesla Model Three specifically is that I think even a two-year-old Tesla Model Three has as much value as a one that's rolling off the lot today. The ones that roll off the lot today have some of these minor issues that I complained about worked out, like the water in the trunk and the door buttons and all that kind of stuff that those have all been tweaked and changed. But for the most part, it's like the cars, because they're they're constantly upgrading. And even if, even if you got a Tesla Model 3 on day one and you turn around to sell it and it has the older full self-driving computer, which is the FSD 2.5 computer, it can be upgraded to the new one. The upgradability of the car means that even if it's two years old, it's still kind of able to be the latest and greatest, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And the only thing that you have to kind of like pay attention to is the literal wear and tear in the car. Like how much was it driven? You know, how much battery efficiency? Yeah. What's the battery at right now? It's like, those are the only things you really have to think about because the car itself it's not really missing out on the latest and greatest because it still kind of is the latest and greatest and it's upgradable as far as like the computer's concerned to do that in the software. And forecasting for yourself, what do you see your future with this car being? Do you see this as you're just going to have this car for five, 10 more years or are you already thinking in terms of next steps, swapping it out for something newer? <laughs> Uh, given how much I drive cars right now, <laughs> it would be silly of me to buy a new car. I've been told by civilians, I'm just trying to get a Model Y. It's like, no, like, I, don't drive, yeah. I don't drive it enough to do that. But the plan I had been thinking of for a while was that I would give this to my wife. And then I have a pre, I, not pre-order, but I have a reservation in for the Cybertruck. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I will actually do that or not. But if I did... My wife would get the Model 3 and then I would get the Cybertruck. Right. But because of how much I drive, that is even questionable for me. Because we could theoretically be a one-car household and right. be just fine. So there's on the tables potentially selling the Mazda and just having the Model 3, period. Mm. And then maybe in a couple of years, if it's like, you know, it's a little too small or whatever, maybe we change to the Model Y or hell a Cybertruck. I don't think she'd want to drive the Cybertruck though. <laughs> I can't I can't see that happening. I <laughs> I have a hard time seeing you in a Cybertruck. I know. Honest. I know. But it's it's I think it would most likely be getting a Y if we were going to upgrade, but it's like I I I don't see myself getting rid of this car anytime soon. I think I'm going to be keeping it for at least 5 years total mm-hmm. or more because 
The other thing is I, I paid for the full self-driving package. Of course, I got it for a really cheap rate where they're upping it to $10,000 now, <laughs> which is insane. Wow. And I paid $2,500 for it. So it's like there's a value in having the full self-driving aspect of it. I did not realize so, it was a separate it's an add-on. It's it's basically just a, a, a bit being flipped on. It's like pay for it and they just flick it on. Mm. Um, but when full self-driving becomes a thing, like it is legit a thing, this car could theoretically become a working taxi, which would earn me money. So there's also an argument just to keep it for like a decade. <laughs> right. Turn it into a robo-taxi and make some income off of it. <laughs> So, but then you have to get one of those robot Johnnies to put in the front seat that says, welcome to Johnny cab. Yes. (laughs) You know, I would do that. (laughs) It's almost a must do. Yeah. It sounds like overall, as we wrap up this conversation about the, the car video, it sounds like you're in a position where you would, you would say you have no regrets about the car in really any facet. I have, I have no regrets whatsoever about buying that car. Stunning statement when you think about it in those terms. Yeah. So now transitioning to the second half of our show, as we usually do, we talk a little bit about things that we are watching to while away the hours. And the hours, they need some whiling. <laughs> it's, <laughs> we've, we've been moving through some very emotionally charged times from a number of different perspectives, not the least of which is now the increasing rates of infection due to the coronavirus. And I would just like to say, we haven't talked about it directly in the past few episodes, but I hope everybody is staying safe and doing what they can to not only protect themselves, but to protect others. And that's especially important to Think about as we move into the holiday season when normally there would be a lot of trips and a lot of visitations and feelings of, of obligations around family and desire to see family and friends. And I know that for Matthew and me, that is true. This is usually the time of year that we get to see each other and our parents. And mm-hmm. for both of us and our parents, that's not happening this year. So it's going to be a difficult reality to to deal with um so i'm just sending out good messages to everybody as we gear up for what is going to be a unique holiday experience as we are doing everything virtually and remotely in the meantime here are some things that i would like to share with people as far as entertainment that's out there. I've got a movie and a TV show to talk about. I'll start with the movie because to be honest, it is the darker of the two. Oh boy. It is the movie Mikey and Nikki, which I've heard of that. It's a lost gem and it is from 1976 and it was directed by Elaine May and written by Elaine May. And of course, Elaine May and Mike Nichols were a comedy duo and brilliant, each of them in their own right as they became filmmakers and they worked separately from each other. And Elaine May, this movie really kind of tanked her career for a while. Hmm. She had a lot of headbutting with the studio. She wanted to do things with the movie and the studio 
wouldn't let her. And they even revoked her uh, last edit approval on the film. Wow. So they ended up releasing a f- version of the film that she did not like. And I, I cannot see this happening today. There's, it's interesting how there's always talk about how the motion picture industry today doesn't operate the way it used to when, when such great films were made. There used to be a day when great films were made because of strong personalities in the systems that would then create these great works of art. And the flip side of that is that there used to be a day where studios were perfectly willing to flush lots of money down the toilet in order to screw somebody personally. What the studio did with this movie was they released it for a very short run, literally of a few days in order to meet contractual obligations. And then Mm -hmm. they basically didn't support the movie at all. It took a decade for Elaine May and one of the stars, Peter Falk, to actually purchase the rights to the film back from the company, allowing her then to do a re-edit and it was released in a movie festival in Utah and it was released at a museum in New York City. And then that version has been released by Criterion. So it's available through Criterion Collection. And it's right now available through HBO Max. So that's mm-hmm. how I watched it. It is Peter Falk and John Cassavetes playing Mikey and Nikki, respectively. And the story is simply they are old childhood friends and Nikki is in trouble with the mob and he calls his old friend Mikey to help him. And it is the two of them trying to figure out how to, how to help Nikki get out of this trouble. So it's mm-hmm. basically a story that starts at like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and it just goes overnight. It's this late night two guys wandering around the city trying to figure out how to get out of trouble. And then there's questions about who's actually in trouble and what the trouble is and who knows what. And it's an exploration of their friendship, of questions of duplicity, of trust, what is friendship, what is history. And in certain ways, I think one of the the neatest ways to approach this movie is to look at the two of them as the two halves of one person. There's hmm. a certain physical similarity in the way that their hair is styled and the way that they are dressed. And there are lots of moments of literal swapping of clothing so that there's this sort of interchangeability with Mikey being the stability and the, the one with uh, a firmer foot on the ground and Nikki being the one who follows his passions. So it's sort of the, the id and the ego bouncing off of each other at times, very, very darkly comic. There are moments of a little bit of levity that let you catch your breath, but a good portion of the film is heavy in the way that the personality, especially of John Cassavetes. And if you're familiar with John Cassavetes, he, as a filmmaker was constantly doing, basically he, he, in his own films that he directed, he directed with a improvisational technique yeah. where he would just start with the barest roots of a character. And then he would just let the actors explore 
the characters, and that would become these very plotless character pieces. But as an actor, he was particularly adept at playing very, very charming assholes. Hmm. And this is that to a degree that in one scene in particular, it's very hard to watch. It is a is effectively comes so close to sexual assault that it becomes unnervingly dis, uh, disturbing. But the movie as a whole, I think, is really challenging and interesting and seeing Falk and Cassavetes work together. My understanding is that they were friends. They, they had a, a friendship, but seeing the two of them work together, you, you get to see two master actors really trusting in each other because there are moments where you can see that in both of them, they are just following each other in moments and letting moments play out in, in ways that you wonder if they knew what was going to happen next. And it's a, it's a fascinating film for that perspective. So it's a very 1970s film. It's a very, it has that kind of rough around the edges look like taxi driver, like oh, where right. is this plot going? Is there a plot? What am I, what is the experience of watching this movie? It's not like a, a current film, but you're watching two master actors and it's, and it's worth watching from that perspective. I love, I love Peter Falk, but that sounds like a heavy, heavy watch. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be in the right, in the right mindset. Yeah. You yeah. should be in the right mindset. It's like watching, <laughs> yeah. it's like watching a, a foreign film you have to be willing to like, am I in the mood to read a movie yeah. right yeah. now? And it's that kind of thing. You have to be ready for, I want the challenge of a darker story. I want the challenge of characters who aren't necessarily likable or whom I like, even though they do bad things. Well, can I ask you a question? Yeah. With the world feeling like a heavy, dark place. What drove you to go watch a heavy, dark movie? It, honestly, it was a little bit of, of needing a catharsis. It was a little okay. bit of, I, and I, I've had moments recently of enjoying art that reminds me that the difficult times we're in are not isolated. Right. That we're not in a dark time that is a sign of the end we have periods of time throughout our history where there are these dark moments. Right. And it's about how you face those dark moments. And this movie has, has that it's, it's a 1970s vision of urban life. Um, like I mentioned, taxi driver, it's that vision of what a city is, is terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, a city is not a good place. A city is not a safe place. And I, I know people who say things like, oh, New York City used to be this romantic place. If only it was like it was in the 70s. And no. the vision of people during the <laughs> 70s of what New York City was was not good. No. So it's that kind of having this, this window into another era that was self-reflecting and saying, what are we doing to ourselves? In yeah. the same way that we're currently saying it is in some ways a little bit of a catharsis. You can sit through that and say like, oh, they got through that. We can get through this. Gotcha. Okay. That so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Be, I do understand that you have to be in that mindset. You have to be ready to like, oh, I think that getting into this raft and going down this whitewater rapid is going to be fun. Yeah. While the other person beside you is thinking, I'm going to die. Yeah. And speaking of death, <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about is a British BBC sitcom that is available also on HBO Max. And it is in the same vein as what we do in the shadows, but where what we do in the shadows, yeah, you know, 
Taika Waititi uh, from New Zealand is is here making you know that that show is uh, being produced here in the U.S. for FX. So it feels like an American sitcom. This is effectively a very similar premise, but it's very very British. And the setup is the show is called Ghosts, and it is about a mansion that has a group of ghosts that live in the mansion. And the hmm. setup is the woman who owns this mansion, this ancient lady passes away and her lawyers find her only living relative who is a great, great, great step niece who is this young woman, her and her husband are trying to figure out where they are going to live when they get word that they've inherited this mansion and they decide they're going to turn this mansion into a hotel and they go to the mansion and the ghosts who all live there hear this discussion and decide, well, we need to get rid of these people. So how do we do that? We need to, <laughs> we need to haunt them. We need to do what we can to haunt them. And they're trying to figure out how to haunt this couple when the one ghost who is able to move things, each of the ghosts has a trait and one mm -hmm. can barely move teacups and one can make the lights flicker. And the one who can move things manages to push the young woman out a window. She lands on her head. And when she comes out of the hospital, she now has the ability to see the ghosts. Mm -hmm. And so now that's the setup. That is, I just described basically the pilot. And the takeaway from that is she's now in this house where she can see the ghosts and the ghosts realize she can see them. Now with this young woman who's able to see them, she can actually interact with them in a way that they can't interact with the world around them. And so it's that, that setup and it's very dry. It's very British and it's very enjoyable. I really, really got a kick out of the, the timing of the humor and the way the humor presents itself as opposed to the more broad American vision of, of the comedy of this. This mm -hmm. is a lot more with dry looks, deadpan stares and silent moments. And one of my favorite bits in the, in the show is that whenever anybody has to explore the basement, the basement, which looks like murderville, it's, you know, the, the dark stairway, and the creaky stairs and the old furnace that's deep underneath, deep, deep, deep into the basement. So you have to go really far through all these dark chambers to get to the furnace. And when the lights pop on, the room is filled with plague victim ghosts. And <laughs> they are all just standing around staring at the person in the room. And they're not doing anything. They're not trying <laughs> to do anything to anybody. And then when the person is done and goes to turn out the light, the ghosts all go, oh, no, leave that out. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that kind of it's that kind of setup and it's I think it's really well created and 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 rendered and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. For me there's two things I'm going to run through I'll try to be quick. The first one is the newest season of Star Trek Discovery. I'm a big fan of that show and this season it's making me even a bigger fan and part of the reason for that is that show has reinvented itself now three times. And it's insane to me what the, that, that, that trick that they've pulled off that instead of trying to come up with a concept and then stretch it beyond belief over the course of five or six years where by the end of the sixth year, it's like, okay, already 
this show's had its run. Just wrap it up. This show has reinvented itself where the story arc over the first season or two morphed into something completely different. And then suddenly it was a different show. And this season did it again. And I don't want to, if you don't watch the show, I don't want to give anything away, but I actually have not finished the second season yet. Okay. So. I, w- I will not give anything away then. But the way that season three starts is just a, oh my God, they have just blown the doors open. They can do whatever they want and they can make basically, you know how like um, JJ Abrams, when he rebooted Star Trek, his, the JJ Abrams Star Trek films, in my opinion, the longer I, I have time to think about them, the less I like them because Mm -hmm. they have part of my language. They've shit all over the Star Trek lore. Um, right. Because, oh, it's a fan of the films and he wanted to make movies about, you know, the original cast. But in doing that, they had to contrive and contr- distort things so much so that he could have freedom to tell the stories he wanted to. They basically erased all of Star Trek history. Right. And by creating this alternate history, this timeline where it's like everything that you saw before didn't happen. This is what's actually happening now. And it's like, that was such a disservice to Star Trek fans. It it gets me angry. This show managed to pull a hat trick of like, we want to be able to tell the stories we want to without messing with the, the lore. And here's how we're going to do it. Right. And they, man, they freaking nailed it. It's like, I am so excited to see where this show goes and at this point, the show could go for another 10 years and never run out of <laughs> things to do. Right. It's it's insane. I am so impressed with this. The, the guys who make this show and the women that make this show, it's so incredible. And I, I just love it so much. If you're a Star Trek fan, you have to watch this show. 100%. So, yeah, it's a Sean. show that I absolutely, I love it. And it just gets buried behind all the other stuff that's available. There's just so much stuff to, to watch and such limited amounts of time, but I should carve out more time for it. You need to carve out out more time. It's so, it's so, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's so worth it. It's so refreshing and it's so much better than what JJ Abrams did. Oh, makes me sick. Anyway, the second, the second thing I wanted to bring up is an animated show that is, it's not for kids. Um, it's very adult oriented. Um, it's called blood of Zeus on Netflix. It's their um, new anime, right? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of an American anime. Um, my knock against it is the animation. It's it's no bueno. It's not it's not good. Um, okay. it, it, the art style is just fine. I have no complaints about the art style, but there are times where it looks like a five frames per second flip book. Right. You know, you remember like you and I growing up, we would watch animated shows, and it would be the same hallway behind Scooby Doo, like right. over Hanna Barbera kind of crap, or somebody's walking and it's clearly like three frames of walking um that is in abundance on this and in this day and age that's inexcusable um because you're you're being compared to every other animated show on the planet that's modern and none of them look like this and this is not meant to feel like an older show so it's like it, it i'm not gonna say it makes it unwatchable but just go in knowing that the animation is not top notch but the storytelling is i'm finding riveting i'm finding the story incredible it's it's made by i think uh brothers that um uh, one of them wrote and directed i think the film 
called The Immortals that starred Henry Cavill. One of them wrote the movie adaptation of Death Note, the anime Death Note. Right. And so th- this is very much in the vein of The Immortals. It's it's about Greek mythology, about the gods and Zeus and you know how like Hercules is half god and all that kind of stuff. It's a new it's a, it's basically saying all these stories were told spoken word so some of them have been lost over time and this is one of the stories that was lost and it's basically it's kind of a hercules story where there's a the the protagonist is one of the sons of zeus so he's half god half human it's a really i'm just loving the story it's very adult it's very drama there's there's action there's a lot of death a lot of gory death Mm. (laughs) but it's it's if you like anime and you can kind of get past some substandard animation, it's really, I'm really enjoying it. I would definitely check it out. Yeah, back in the day when the first animators from joined Hanna-Barbera, Hanna-Barbera was established because the animations companies that were making the Bugs Bunny cartoons and all of those Warner Brother cartoons, they were basically let go because the motion picture companies stopped making the shorts before movies. Mm-hmm. And so Hanna-Barbera's goal was to take it to television and figure out what is the bare minimum of frames per second that they could work with that people would still find it acceptable to watch. And they they went from the Warner Brother cartoon pacing and the Disney pacing, which was between 24 and 30 frames per second, they went down to eight. Yeah. And you end up with that that flipbook almost flipbook look of you can see this is two drawings working closely to each other to make them look like they're walking um and that did happen as i was watching that trailer i did see that in the trailer i was just like this doesn't look like it's very sophisticated yeah but a little disappointing on the animation side but if the storytelling is good yeah i'll check it's it a really good it's a really good story so I'm curious as to whether or not anybody else has checked out that show, what they think about it, or what they think about anything that we've talked about as far as the movies and TV shows, or if they have something that they would recommend that we haven't seen. Let us know what you think. You can find our contact info in the podcast description. Please do subscribe to the podcast. You know how to do it. I know how to do it. <laughs> Matt knows how to do it. There yes. are podcast services. Go to those services and subscribe. Please be sure to give us a rating and review. Share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew makes a flip book. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.